So continuing on in verse 9 of chapter 6, knowing that Christ, I like that word again, this is a fact. You can count on it. You have that knowledge already, he said. Having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. See, he let it kill him on the cross. And his body lay dormant for three days. But it saw no corruption because there was no sin in him. And when the spirit of holiness raised him up, he never had to die again. Now, a lot of the Catholic mass has him dying daily and suffering. This is a bunch of nonsense. He's died once, and he suffered once for man's sin. He's not going to do it again. He took care of it, okay? He says, no longer is it master over him. What? He resurrected and overcame death. It has no power. He's talking about the human physical death and the spiritual death. It has no power. So he conquered the wages of sin. It was the human death. We grow old and get sick and die. And many, that's part of the Adamic nature and the sin being passed through us. Even the righteous die. Even the righteous get sick. See, because we are subject to the this world and we still have the old nature and man that the devil could play on. So he said, but he's going to finally deal with it. And he dealt with the second death. So those who come to him will never experience the second death. So he's overcome. It has no power over him. So Christ was raised from the dead. So the power of sin and death was broken. It's a legal thing too. Death could not hold him. Remember we talked about that. Corruption couldn't hold him because there was no sin in him. Thus, if we unite with him, he says, when we join, we're yoked with the Lord. We're one spirit. It means in unity. We still are us, and he's he. We're just yoked with him. Again, it's supposed to be like the unity of a marriage. The two individuals become one in many ways, but they don't stop being themselves. They're still who they are. And that's how it is with us in Christ. We're still us. We still have a personality. Each angel has a different personality, a different name, a different function. But they don't know any sin about experience. They only learn about this by watching the church. And they are taught wisdom and see how God works things in the universe. He said the angels desire to look into these things, okay? So death could not hold him. It had no power because he was sinless, okay? Thus, if we unite with him, then we are led by him. That's the walking in the spirit. That's being led of the spirit. As the scripture says, these are the sons of God, those who are led of his spirit. Well, that cuts most people out. Oh, they'll say, Lord, Lord, they'll go to church and they give and they're involved in many good humanitarian works, but they're not being led by the Lord, so they're not his. Very simple. Scripture can be very plain. You don't need no great mystery to interpret it. So those who are led by him, sin has no real power over us. Worst they can do to a believer is someone can kill them. And they can't even do that without the Lord's permission. But he tests us. 
and there will be martyrs, and there will those who will suffer things for the kingdom, and they'll overcome things. But that's all they can do. They can't do nothing else. Uh-huh. It must frustrate the enemy. No matter what he does, he can't destroy that person. He can't lead that person away. He can't deceive them as they walk in the spirit. Now, if they stop walking in the spirit, uh, that's another story. Okay, so we're led by him. Set as no power over us, and yes, we give it the power. We will be raised, spirit, soul, and body of the life we live in. And because of Christ, we will enter the eternal kingdom forever. Because uh-huh. he overcomes death and sin and its influences. And once we enter into heaven, all those things are done away. He said, behold, he said, I'll make all things new. There'll be no death and sorrow and temptations and testings once we get into the kingdom. All of that's done now. And many professing Christians think, well, I've already overcome. Yeah, while you're living in adultery and on drugs and you're an alcoholic and you're doing everything else you can, but sure, see, let it be deceived. Jesus said, leave them alone. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the ditch. See, people don't understand that God reacts to these people. And he doesn't strive with them all the time. And he's not hounding them for 20 and 30 years. Oh, I hope on the deathbed they'll come to me. There's no such teaching in Scripture. Oh, the man died on the cross and repented. That was one out of millions. You study apostolic teaching, you'll find another case like that. You don't take the exception and make it a general rule. Bible tells us what happens to people who persist in sin and resist the Spirit year after year. He's not going to take them just because they're afraid of judgment. The wicked man, his spirit instinctively knows, like the demons did, there's a day of torment coming. And he just panics and gets afraid. And the Bible says, worldly sorrow works death. Oh, he's guilty because he's like the criminal that stands before the judge. Oh, he's sorry. He's sorry he got caught. And he's sorry he's going to be punished. But there's no repentance. The one that repents, he's sorry that he did it. And he wants to stop doing it. And he wants to change. That's godly sorrow. It gives him life. So most people just have worldly. And they just panic at the end like a criminal when he's caught. God doesn't run there to help him then. See, people teaching things about the Lord, the Bible doesn't teach. They better learn more about the fear of the Lord and see how he works, and he'll tell them how he works. Now, the exception to the rule, we leave alone. He can be gracious to whom he will be gracious, and he will harden whom he will harden. But it's not uh, he's done this before they've done any actions, not what is according to sin. Now, for certain works and ministries, God can do as he pleases. But he deals with people and responds to them according to their action. He may live in eternity, but he deals with us in time because we're time creatures. He always deals with us in the present because we live in the present. And that's why Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Live for today, the Lord. Don't worry too much about the past if you get it forgiven. Paul said, forgetting those things behind. Well, that's if you repented and dealt with them. And then he said, I look forward. So 
Like someone told me one time when I was teaching, he says, you can't see where you're going clearly if you keep staring in the rearview mirror. So you take a glance once in a while to remind us of things we did. And God has been gracious and forgiven us. And we try to learn our lessons from him. But we don't stare in the mirror constantly. We're running to a truck. Okay? We wouldn't be able to see where we're going. Okay, so he's overcome for us. Everything he's done is for us. Scripture says it. And when we are united with Jesus and Christ, the Spirit, he said, the Father will love you like he loved me. Some people don't get it. Read it slowly. He said, he will love you like he loved me. Well, you can imagine how the Father loves the Son of God and the Word of God. They were in eternity with each other. And he says, and I'll love you the same way. Now, isn't that something? Because of what Christ did, okay, and is doing. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. We'll read Hebrews later, says the thing, his sacrifice was once, and it's not going to be repeated. And when Jesus comes back, he's not coming as a savior. See, he's done enough. He's acting as the high priest now and given an opportunity to people turn to the Lord and get saved. But when he comes the second time, he says he comes without salvation. He's coming as a judge and a king. And he's going to destroy the masses of wicked people. He's not showing mercy on them. And they're going to flee and beg for the rocks to kill them because they're terrorized of him like the demons. He came as Savior and lived as teacher and Savior and prophet. He's acting as our intercessor now. But then he's going to come as a king. And he's going to be the judge and the ruler then. Okay? And so what does it say? He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So he's always in communion as the man Jesus, the high priest, and he's the Son of God, the Word of God. He's united in that person. But Hebrews emphasizes the man Jesus as the intercessor. So he represents man, and then there's the divine side. He represents the Father. He's all in one, one there. He has both sides. And so he handles them. And because he does that, it says he always lives before the Father. His glory has been restored to him. Remember he said, restore my glory. He meant the power and the use of the Godhead was limited and taken from him when he was on earth. But when he resurrected, it was returned. He stands as the Son of God, the Word of God. He is very God with the Father and the Spirit. Okay? And so they live in communion. And as we're with Christ, we can have the communion. You see, he's opened that up for us. He lives to God. That's continuous. He ever lives to make intercession for the Christian. And he intercedes too. He's still looking to the world for God so loved the world. He still looks at the sinner and he wishes their repentance and he does things. Even Jesus said he is, God is kind to the evil and the unthankful. Oh yeah. He's still offering them salvation as long as they're alive, as long as they haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He has no pleasure in their death. That he hates their wickedness. 
and their personality, and eventually he'll despise their person. But he's still offering grace to them. See? And he could do that. But the Christians in a special relation, we have a high priest they don't have. He deals with them in a different way. But we're in covenant with him. So we have better privileges. We are not without hope. Okay? So Christ died once and for all and for all. Well, I'll go there now. Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verse 28. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And to those who wait for him, this is a continuous process, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, that's not to the world in his second coming. When he appears to his own, complete salvation. See, they have temporal probation salvation as they stay in the Lord. But when he comes and takes them, then it's permanent. It's for eternity. Okay. And then over in 10, verse 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. Once for all. Okay? But this man, in verse 12, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, sometimes the sitting down means he's exerting authority now. In that area, his work is finished. But other times we find the high priest is standing because he's working still. See, he's interceding. for That's his present ministry as the man, Jesus Christ, as the resurrected. That's the man's side, and he's acting that now. And he will do that until the second coming. That's his main job for humanity and for the Christ mainly for his own people. So he says what? In all three scriptures, once. There's no suffering weekly in the Mass. That's a bunch of garbage, okay? That's saying it wasn't sufficient when God says it is sufficient, okay? So it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the truth. He died for all, yet few will receive him. He tells us this. And real quickly, go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. That's in his humanity. That's in his earthly walk. Angels had to minister to him. He could not use his divinity. He could not act on his own. He had to submit to the Holy Spirit that baptized and came upon him. See, people say, well, he was God. No, not in that context. We never find him using his divinity unless God gave him permission. He couldn't do it. And he prayed to the Father. Okay? So we need to understand that. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. So he could die as a human on the cross. Crowned with glory and honor, he resurrected. Never His glory was restored to him. And he, who... Jesus, Jesus the man, when he was on the earth, he tasted by the grace of God, by grace, God's initiation of the plan of salvation. And man had nothing to do with that. 
People think it's all once, it's just all, oh, the plan of salvation was all God's. Man had no business, but man has to submit to it and his conditions. And if he doesn't repent and believe, he will not be saved. That grace will not work. It will be given to him in vain. And so what does he say? By the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So he's the one, but he only did it once, okay? So he did it for who? He might taste death for everyone. Not for the elect. Not for those he predestined. For everyone. Under the old and the new covenant, God has no pleasure in anybody's death and judgment and eternity in hell. So this means what it means. He died for every human. Because every human descended from Adam and the sin of Adam influenced him. And God did not hold him to that judgment. He held man more accountable for his actions of the will, not for his inclinations. He sees how man deals with So he gave grace, even under the law. He was gracious to man. He was still helping him. So if he required certain things, the man had the ability to do it. And if he didn't, he was given sacrifice and certain ritual. And if he did that, then God would overlook things. Even if he had the real power to overcome certain things. So he made allowances. The Bible says he winked. Paul said he winked at them in the old. He's not winking anymore because he gives his spirit and gives them a power and ability they didn't have under the old. And that's why Hebrews says you'll receive a greater judgment if you despise the Son of God and trample his blood under your feet. Your punishment was so severe. See, he'll judge them according. Jesus told the cities he preached to, and one or two of them, he said, Sodom and Gomorrah do better at the day of judgment than you will. And Sodom and Gomorrah represented the worst of mankind. And God destroyed them with fire. And you know what he said? Says something astounding. He said, if I had gone there and preached to them, they would have repented. He said, they would have. He didn't say they might. But see, it was not the covenant to extend that grace. They were responsible and they had enough grace of God and the covenant they were in, and they didn't yield to it. They could have gone out. Any person in Sodom could have left. He could have listened to Lot. He could have been a wicked person, and he could have said, this man's something's righteous. And he invited, hey, go with him. He could have gone with him. And so the Lord said to you, you will go to the deeper hell. He talked to those cities. He says, you that I did miracles and preached to, and you reject the gospel, and you fight me, and you'll put me to death. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, you'll go to a greater punishment. He said, when judgment comes, you're going to get a lot worse than Sodom and Gomorrah got. Well, the Pharisees thought the Sodom and Gomorrah were the worst of the lot. And Jesus said, but you're worse. He said, the hypocrite shall receive the greater damnation. Well, he considered them hypocrites as a whole. So verse 11, even so, consider yourselves 
when he says, consider, count this, reason this, that you're dead to sin. Okay? He means dead to its influences. As far as you're concerned, I'm not going to practice sin. That's what he's talking about. Oh, it's there, and it's tempting. But consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus, that he's made you a son and daughter of the Lord because of Christ Jesus. You're in a different covenant. So you live and walk in the spirit. You don't live and walk in the flesh and the demonic. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You're a slave of Christ now. You know, people need to go back and see, God isn't too much into independence. So a Christian, Paul makes it very plain. You don't hear people quoted often. He said, if you're a Christian slave, he didn't say run away and rebel. That's a bunch of foolishness. And the societies, he allowed it. He told them to submit to their masters and to do good as you would unto the Lord. He didn't say run away and rebel, and that was justified. He didn't say that, see? That's just uh, American independence and democracy. Well, a lot of democracy is demonic. It promotes the independence of man, the selfishness of man, independent nature. Well, that's what happened when Adam sinned. He became independent. <laughs> that was the great cause of independence, okay? And he said so. Consider this. Count this. Reckon this. Believe this. That you're dead to sin. As far as its power and its temptation, you're to be dead to it. You're not to yield to it. You're not a slave to it. You don't have to. Okay, that's what he's saying. Not a denial of sin's influence. It still has the power to subdue and overcome you. See, a lot of the greasy grace people, oh, it don't matter because our spirit can't sin. I say, yeah, you're going to find out. <laughs> well, if it can't sin, how come Paul said, knowing these things and having these promises, cleanse yourselves from all spirit, soul, and body. Well, why would he tell you to cleanse your spirit? Because sometimes it's defiled. So yeah, you can sin on your spirit. And you do it long enough, you'll be cut off from the vine. Okay? And the spirit will part from you. And your end, latter end, will be worse than your beginning. Okay? So you count it that way. But he said, also count yourself alive. You've been given eternal life because you're joined to Christ. And you are empowered because Christ lives in you and gives you the ability. The Holy Spirit that Jesus said, he'll come a later. He said, when he comes, he'll not only guide you in the truth, he'll be the great helper. And then Paul says, and Christ is that spirit. See, there's the unity of the Godhead. People separate what they call the Trinity too much. There's not three separate gods, but there is certain uh, functions they can't do with each other that's beyond our understanding. But Christ is the spirit. And that's why he told his disciples, I have been with you. He said, but I shall be in you. See? And he couldn't be in them until the Holy Spirit resurrected him. And he got his glory restored. And then him and the Father set himself. He could open himself more to those who were in covenant. So that's what it meant. Okay, Sin's pull 
temptations, testings, he's saying can be refused. You don't have to yield to it. You do not have to overcome. And if you keep being overcome, then it tells you who your master is. It's not Christ. It means uh, you uh, do not want to do it or you love your sins too much or you won't use the weapons and the graces that the Lord's given you to use. So responsibility lies with the person, okay? not with God. 12, 612. For this reason, what? That you're alive to Christ. Do not let sin rule in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Well, see, the mortal body won't do anything unless your soul tells it to, unless the spirit consents to it and the will. So he deals with the lowest member first because a lot of our temptations and desires are temptations to the body. And then there's the soulish things. So he's just covering it this way. You don't have to obey. He calls it lust. Desire has its proper place. When desire passes the mark and the line, then it becomes lust. That's transgression. You're permitted certain things. You're permitted things in moderation. You're permitted, but you go beyond that. Then you enter in to lust and covetousness and sin. See? So a Christian can live in moderation. He's not to live in greed and excessive luxury when the body of Christ needs help sometime. It's a lot of things he can't do. And some Christians can't do things that others can because they're weak in certain areas. And the Holy Spirit's dealing with them differently. But the basic sins are always sins. You'll never be permitted to exercise them and continue in them. But methods and certain things, some people, people who've been alcoholics and drunks and have been delivered, some of them can never enter a bar. They don't want wine or beer near them. It still tempts them at times. And they recognize the weakness, the sin that so easily beset. So they don't go in and make provision for the flesh. But a Christian that's never drank and never had drugs, it ain't no temptation to him. He, he don't even have that drawing. His problem's somewhere else. Sin takes many branches. And so that's why we have to be led of the Spirit. You don't look at other Christians and say, well, they shouldn't do that. And the Lord may say, well, they can do it because they can handle it. You can't, so you can't do it. It makes it very simple to them, don't it? Okay. You that would be rich, Paul said, fall into many hurtful lusts that drown men in hell. He encouraged most Christians, you should not be rich. And then he says, and you that are rich, be rich in good works. And God's going to store this up and when you finally get salvation, he's going to remember this as a part of your spiritual works. And if you're not rich, you may not make it to the kingdom if you're not rich in good works and you have an abundance. See, he measures. But he tells most Christians, don't emphasize, my, be content with what you have. Try to learn to live within your means. But again, John says, he gives us all things richly to enjoy, not to abuse. Okay? So moderation is what he's talking about. But a lot of people are not content. They have a restless nature. They have a covetous nature. And covetous means be going beyond what's permitted. 
Again, that's transgression. The child goes, gets ready to step in the street, and he looks back at you. He's about four or five. And he knows he'll get spanked if he goes to that street because he knows the limit. Why does he know it? Because he's been spanked before. And he may lift his foot and pretend he's going to step in there, but he ain't going to step in there as long as his parents watch him because he knows what's going to happen. He is not going to transgress. Don't matter how much he's lured and how much he wants to go across the street. He's not going to do it. And the Christian has to learn the same thing. Okay. So, as he's saying in 12, do not yield or give in to it. Do not let your old man rule. That means he has the possibility that you can let him do it. Do not let it lead your body to satisfy its lust, its impure desires, its uncleanness, its fleshly desires that God has not permitted. He set the limits, and the Bible tells us what the limits are. And no ungodly person, no impure person, no unclean person will enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's trying to say, don't do it now and get hooked. And see, even Proverbs says you can go too far and you can't come back from that pit. See? It binds and holds you too much. You've gone too far. See, some people can go too far. That's what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. Resisting enough and doing something enough that God says, I'm not going to mess with this person anymore. He has the right. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will harden whom I will harden. And he hardened Pharaoh, and he hardened King Saul, and there was no hope for them once he did that. They were demonized, okay? The power is of Christ. The permission is of you. Remember that. The vine has all the power, but the branch has to use it. So you may think you're seated with Christ, but you're not if you're not walking in the Spirit. And if you're not attempting to follow him and you're dealing with your faults and imperfections, and if you do sin, the Bible doesn't say when you sin, it says if. He implied a Christian does not have to willfully sin ever. And that's why Paul could say, I've not obtained perfection. He probably slipped up a few times, but he didn't continue in it. And like someone said, can you go one minute without willfully sinning against God? The person says, sure I can. He said, then you can go a lifetime. It's your choice. Okay? It's been provided for. Okay? So the power of Christ is all in all. The permission is of you. Yield to it or don't yield to it. The will, the will is of you and the place to give in or not give in. That's temptation. The plan of salvation is God alone. The believing and repenting and receiving is your ability. Oh, he'll even help you repent, but you have to exercise it. When people backslid, Paul said, and he was talking about them living in gross sin and they'd not repented. He said, well, perhaps, it's a scary word there, Perhaps God will give them again the gift of repentance. What is he saying? There's a possibility he won't. When that person backslides and tramples the blood of Christ, he might decide for his reasons, and he knows all. He said, I don't extend grace no more. And the person won't even want it. 
So that's why he said, perhaps God will give you the gift of repentance. And see, usually in most covenants, old and new, he's asking and inquiring that the wicked and those repent and come back, and those who have left. So all in all, that's his will. But some people go too far with him, and he has enough of it. And like Pharaoh and Saul, he makes examples of them while he's doing it. He doesn't waste them. But they're damned. There's no hope for them, okay? The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He was the anointed king, and anointed come on him. But when he finally disobeyed too many times, it said the Spirit of Jehovah departed from him. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Who sent that evil spirit? He says God did. See, people just don't think, well, you better read the scripture. You resist the spirit of truth and you fight him. He can command a demonic to move in. Take. It doesn't just allow him. Sometimes he directs it. That's the punishment for fighting the spirit of truth. And that's what happened to him, okay? We look at verse 13. And do not go on. Oh, this is continuous. Do not go on presenting the members of your body, any part of your body that's lured to sin. He said, don't present your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't let the devil have your body and soul and don't participate and sin, and you surely don't let your body. So that's yielding to temptation, okay? He said, don't present your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but do present to God, what? Your body, your mind, your soul, as alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. And you hear all these heretics, oh, we can't have no righteous, oh, Jesus. Well, if you don't practice righteousness and holiness, you're going to hell. I don't care how much you claim to be born again. I don't care if Jesus appears to you every morning and tells you you're wonderful. You'll listen to a lying spirit is what you're listening to. If Christians don't walk in righteousness, and that's spiritual works. See, they need to understand that's the works he's talking about. Not human, pharisaical works. Not works that earn you credit with God because you've been so bad in another area. That ain't what he's talking about. He means the Spirit of Christ, if he's working in you, he's working in righteousness, holiness, and purity. He's doing the opposite, what the old man and the devil want to do. So when people, oh, I've heard professing, oh, I don't want to be holy in that. I don't want to be. I said, well, you're not going to make it to heaven. I said, because if you go look at the word, followers of Jesus and the words he implied, disciple and fanatics was actually a word used often. If you're not a fanatic for Christ, he meant you're not his. See, they want to still be loved by the world. Oh, I want enough religion to get me into heaven. You won't make it. I used to tell people that. Oh, I'll be satisfied. I said, no, because you're not going to make it. I'd disturb them. I'd have people hang up on the phone on me. I said, but you're not going to make it. I said, because you already revealed your wicked heart. You have no desire to repent and serve the Lord. and serve. You just want enough to keep you out of hell, but you're going to be deceived. It would upset some. I said, it's meant to upset them. might be the only time in their life. And when they wake up in hell, they remember they were told. Yeah, I've had many people tell me that. Well, I just want enough to be saved. I said, you won't be saved. 
I said, because when you have Christ and you're born of the Spirit, you have a newer nature along with the drawing of the old nature, and you have your own personality, and you can heal. And your new man likes to do good things. So if you don't like doing good things, and you don't want to be associated with being a do-gooder, you still love the world. You haven't understood Christ. So again, that counts out another large percentage of people who think they're Christians. Yeah. They go to church once or twice a week, then they live like hell the rest of the week, and they think that'll get them into heaven. (laughs) They go find out differently. Okay. So it says, do not yield your body, your soul, your spirit to unrighteousness, to sin's desires or lusts, but yield to God and your human nature, which is purified, your personality, you can yield it, and you have to, to Christ for righteousness. So you still have something to yield to him. Holy and for pure use. That's what he requires. So when he saved us, he didn't save us just to keep it out of hell. That's a bonus. He saved us to himself. Many people say we're saved by faith. They quote that wonderful scripture. They don't quote the next one that says we are created for good works and righteousness. That's something. They won't quote that one. See, they want to believe it's all grace. That other verse sort of implies it's not. That if you aren't producing righteousness and holiness, maybe you ain't got the real goods person, okay? Okay. So notice we are commanded to act. He appeals to our will. See, the new man that's joined with Christ, he desires God's will. But he still has a will that can go either way. And that's not taken from him. He has the choices, always. And it's not going to change. Okay? So we have to use our will and choose with God's help to do what he wishes. Okay, let's close here. Lord, in Jesus' name, give us wisdom. Give us the ability to see the truth, maintain the truth, that we don't fall away. And no one takes our crown. In your name, amen.